Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all know that saying, right? Who in here thinks that's true? Yeah, nobody does, right? Words hurt, don't they? Words hurt when someone insults us, mocks us, criticizes us, accuses us of something. It hurts. It hurts in our soul. Sometimes it hurts worse than if it was just physical. I read this really fascinating book called Chesty. I got a picture of it, okay? Chesty. It was recommended by a guy in our congregation. As far as I know, he's the oldest man in our congregation. He was actually in the army during World War II, guy in our church. Pretty impressive, right? He recommended this book because he knows I love history and military stuff. It's about Chesty, um, who his real name is Louis Poehler. Um, he went by Chesty because he was a short guy with a huge chest, okay? The most decorated Marine in U.S. history. He received five Navy crosses, which, if, if you're not familiar, is the award just underneath Medal of Honor, okay? Pretty much the highest award you can get. And he had five of them, okay? Most decorated Marine in U.S. history. And Chesty enlisted during World War I. He really um, made a name for himself in World War II, where he fought in the Pacific Theater, Guadalcanal, and one of the most, the bloodiest battles in American history. There was 3,000 Marines in his command, and over 1,700 died in one battle. And he was there, and he was fighting nonstop, kept leading into battle with his troops at the front. He also fought in Korea. And while he was there in Korea, there were some sub-zero temperatures as they're fighting China. And it was some of the, one of the worst battles. And he was there, really made a name for himself in his leadership. And in all of the, the battles he fought, in all of the grenades that went off around him as he saw people die, he said something really fascinating in his book. He said, the worst thing I ever experienced was the criticism I received when I came back home. I'm like, what? This guy literally had shrapnel everywhere. People are dying, blood and guts, bullets flying, grenades going off, but it's the criticism that was the hardest thing he faced. Interesting, right? We say sticks and stones will break our bones and words won't ever hurt us, but they hurt us sometimes deeper than all the other stuff. Isn't that true? Just this week, I think God sometimes coordinates these things, but I've had four different conversations in this last week with people who are really struggling because of words. I talk, talked with one person, and they were fired, and um, then they were lied about, about the reason for their firing. To, to everybody, everybody heard a different story than the truth. They could do nothing to correct the story. It was out there. I talked with another person who had someone blab all sorts of stuff on social media, accusing them of like awful things, saying terrible things on them on social media, and, and what do they do? It's already out there. There's comment after comment about them now on social media. What do you do with that? I, I talked with another person who was like, Matt, my spouse has said some really awful stuff to me. I don't know how I can get past the words they've said to me. And still another person got fired because of a false accusation. Said I got accused, there was no way to prove it, it, it wasn't true at all, and yet I got fired anyways. There's nothing I could do about it. Words hurt, don't they? Anybody experience that? One of those things or something like that? Maybe it's an insult. Maybe it's a criticism. Maybe it is an accusation. Words hurt. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with those words when they come against us? Well, that's what we're going to learn today. We're actually going to learn from Jesus because he had some of the most awful things said about him. He faced a lot of difficult words. A lot of us think about like the, the physical suffering that Jesus dealt with at the end of his life. 
But in this message today, in, in our series, In Our Place, we're looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. We're going to see some of the terrible words that were said against him, and we're going to learn from his example how to respond. We're going to learn three different things from Jesus' example, how he responded to the words, and how we can respond as well when those words come against us. And, and then we're going to kind of wrap it all up in a big idea that I, that I think is going to be really important for all of us. So, we're going to open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. We're covering a big section of scripture today. Actually, Luke 22:63 we'll start in. Luke 22:63, we'll go to all the way to chapter 23 verse 25. So that's a huge section of scripture. If you have the Uversion Bible app, make sure you find our event and you can find the scripture right in there, take some notes. We are going to read a lot of scriptures today. So, I'm going to move quickly. Pay attention, okay? Keep up with me. And, and, but we still aren't going to read every single word and every single verse, but every single word and every single verse is from God. It's God's word. It's important. It's inspired. It's inerrant. So you should read that on your own. Um, uh, but what I want you to see, we're, we're going to start with our first point that we learn from Jesus, from his example. And the first thing we learn from Jesus' example when these words come against us is, one, that Jesus was insulted and he stayed silent. So this is the example of Jesus. He was insulted and he stayed silent. So we can learn from his example how to respond in similar situations. So let's look at this in verse 63 together. Chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 63. We read, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophet, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Now, if you've seen, like, the Passion of the Christ, a lot of us see, have seen, like, the physical things that Jesus suffered. In fact, in, in the Gospels, there was terrible things that happened. And Jesus, or Luke just mentions briefly here the beating. It's, like, mentioned one time. He really focuses in this next section all on the words that came to Jesus. I even think right here he's just mentioning the beating because it lays the groundwork for these people mocking him. They blindfold him, and they start beating Jesus, and they're like, oh, who hit you? Boom. Prophet, come on, tell us who hit you. Can you imagine how awful that is? And then they insult him. They're saying all sorts of demeaning things, probably things that Luke didn't even want to include here in his account because they're so awful. But he's like, these are insults. He's being mocked. He's being made fun of here. Now, these are hurtful words. And I think to a certain extent, all of us deal with mocking like this. This morning, I got a comment from somebody who said, Matt, I had that shirt when I was in middle school. I was like, yeah, that's why I know it's good, right? Come back. Okay, that, that's like nothing, right? That, I take that as a compliment now, okay? 90s are back in, aren't they? Yes. So people are like, no, Matt, no. I think I did have this shirt in middle school too. It's back, okay? I don't, that's like a tiny little thing. You just brush that off, right? In fact, I take that as a compliment. Okay, I'm, I'm with the fra- fashion trend now. Um, maybe not. Um, but the point is we all deal with like tiny little insults and mockery like that all the time, right? But there are also things that hurt us a lot, that really get deep. Don't we have those things? Those insults that someone says, and it really pokes at you. And these are the things that Jesus is saying. You call yourself a prophet? Come on, prophet. Prophesy who's hitting you. They're, they're really trying to get Jesus where it hurts. That's why they're insulting him like this. That's what mocking is. They really try to get underneath your skin. And we've all experienced something like that. And what Jesus shows us with his example is to say nothing. To be silent in response to those insults and mockery. Silence is the response that Jesus teaches us. It's his example that he shows us. There is nothing he's showing us that you can say that will help the situation. It won't get better. A lot of us are thinking, man, I need the perfect comeback, right? 
If you ever felt that way, I just need that perfect zinger. I have never been the person to be able to get that zinger in. Everybody, I think, wants to. Like, we want to get the zinger, get him back. Boom, got you. Um, But the reality is, if you do that, now you're just insulting them, and you're just making it worse. To hit back just just makes, makes the whole situation get worse and worse and worse. Didn't we see that this week? When Will Smith's wife was insulted? Right? Okay, yeah, you've seen the meme if you haven't, didn't watch it live, right? Nobody did. But if you saw the meme, right, he got insulted, and then he had to come up, and he hit back, and it made it worse. And it opened his mouth, and, and now there's all sorts of mess, and Will Smith's entire reputation has been totally tarnished, right? Because he spoke back. He hit back, and it made things way worse. Even if you think it's going to feel good in the moment to come back, to say something back, to hit back, just makes it worse. And Jesus shows us by his example to be silent. So, so in case you missed it, be like Jesus, not like Will Smith, okay? Yeah, right? <laughs> we can put that out there. Be like Jesus. And even though our whole nation has gotten this example, nobody's actually going to follow that example. We all know that it, things got worse, because, but nobody's listening. Hopefully you will listen. Jesus is showing us that there are moments where we need to be silent. Winston Churchill Um, Winston Churchill, if we can jump forward to that quote, he said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. They're going to be barking. You can't stop. You can't put all of it to rest. You just got to keep moving ahead. God has a plan for you to keep moving forward. We have to be silent as we respond. And I believe Jesus was very purposeful in his silence here. It's very purposeful. He's fulfilling prophecy even. In Isaiah chapter 53, there's this great prophecy about the, the, this servant who would come, the suffering servant, and in Isaiah 53, 7, this is talking about Jesus when he would come. It says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is what? Silent. You guys are pretty silent right there, aren't they? <laughs> so he did not open his mouth, right? Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here. He's very purposeful in not saying anything in response to these personal attacks. Now, if you're wondering, well, is there never a time to say anything? No, we're going to get to it. We've got a second point. But what I do want you to see is that Jesus is very purposeful in how he responds. It's interesting because in the next section, Jesus is actually going to say something. As he goes before the religious leaders and then as he goes before Pilate, who was the governor in those days. But then Jesus gets put before Herod. We'll see all this in just a minute. But Herod was kind of like the king of the entire region. But when he goes before Herod, so he's, Jesus says something to the religious leaders. He says something to Pilate, but when he goes before Herod, he's silent again. I want you guys to see this. In verse 9, it says that Herod plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. Why? Well, in verse 11, it says, Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. They're mocking him. Even the elegant robe is like, oh, you think you're a king? Ha, <laughs> ha. They're making fun of him. So why was Jesus silent in these two situations and then he talks in two other ones? I'll I'll tell you what I think here is that Jesus is being insulted. This is a personal attack. It's mocking. There is no good response that you can have to a personal attack. I really think that's what Jesus is teaching us. There's there's nothing to help. If I say something, it's not going to help the situation. They're just mocking me. And I think Jesus knew going before Herod that this is not going to go anywhere. So I need to stay silent. So in those moments when you have a personal attack, don't say anything. Silence. 
You need to learn the proverb. This is one of my favorite proverbs. Some of you really need to memorize this one. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps what? Discerning when he seals his lips. Okay. People will think you're wise, that you're smart. If you just shut up. Okay, right? And I think Jesus is taking this wisdom to heart that in this situation with personal attacks, with mockery, nothing good can come out of opening your mouth. Some of us have experienced that. You've said the thing back and it just made things worse, right? I think it, it was George Bernard Shaw who says like, don't, don't wrestle with the pigs, right? Don't get in the mud with them because you'll get dirty and they'll like it. They want you to get in there with them. Don't do it. You'll get dirty. You'll look worse. Even if it's just a mean personal attack, just stay silent. Okay, online, man, things are bad right now, aren't they? Social media, we live in an age where someone can send you an email, they can post on Twitter, they can comment on social media, like that. There's nothing you can do about it. Maybe you can turn off comments or delete the comment, but it's just out there. Don't respond to them, okay? Don't feed the trolls. Don't feed the trolls, I I'm serious. I've got some trolls now. You know, when I got the first one, it kind of made me a little upset, like someone's post commenting on my YouTube like sermon video. Now I kind of like them. <laughs> but, I, but honestly, like I think about these people, I'm like, wow, you really took all that time to put that comment on there? Like, I need to pray for you. Like, really, do you have that much time to put that dumb comment on, <laughs> on YouTube? Really? N now I kind of like them. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, N that means you're, you're doing something, right? <laughs> Okay, but, but when we get those comments online or when we get the email in our inbox and it's just a personal insult, an attack, don't respond. There's, there's nothing you're going to get out of it. Stay silent. When in doubt, shut your mouth. Jesus shows us his example in that way, right? But I did say that there are times where we should open our mouth, that we should speak, and Jesus shows us that example as well. We have to have wisdom in these situations, know when to stay silent, when to speak, and Jesus actually next speaks, so we're gonna learn our second point, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus was falsely accused and spoke truthfully. When he was falsely accused, that's when he actually spoke up and said the truth. Look with me um, at verse 66 now after he was beaten and mocked by those guards, it says in verse 66, at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. These are all the, the, the bigwig religious leaders. And they say to him in verse 67, if you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. If you're the long-awaited Savior we've all been waiting for, prophesied in Isaiah, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. He speaks the truth here. You want to know if I'm the Messiah? I am the Messiah, he's saying here. He's saying he's the Son of Man who was prophesied in the Old Testament. He's actually referencing two different scriptures in this one phrase that he says. The first one is Psalm 110.1, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to the Lord. Meaning there's a God, the Father in heaven, who's speaking to this other Lord. Who the heck is it? And then he's also referencing Daniel 7.9, this prophecy that the Son of Man would come and be with the Father Almighty in heaven, in glory, and sit on a throne in power. 
Now, that's a crazy verse because it's showing that this Messiah was actually there from before the beginning of time and is there seated at the right hand of the throne of God in power. Jesus is saying, I'm not just the Messiah, the Savior, but I am God himself, the Son of God, and I will sit in power ruling over everything. That's a bold claim. But Jesus is saying, this is the truth, and I need to tell you the truth in this situation. By their question, they're trying to say, hey, you're, you're not the Messiah. They're trying to attack him, and, and the accusations are about to get worse. Jesus just speaks the truth. I am. I'm actually the son of God. Knowing that this claim will get him in hot water. But he speaks the truth anyways. In verse um, uh, 69, I'm sorry, verse 70. They all asked, because they know what this means, as Jesus is quoting scripture. These guys knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They all asked in verse 70, are you then the son of God? Not just the Messiah, but the son of God. Are, is that what you're claiming? And he says, yes, you say that I am. That's what he said. He replied, you say that I am. Now, this is an interesting phrase. In the Greek, some of us are like, oh, is he dodging the question? No, he's already just quoted the scripture about himself. What he's actually saying it would basically be the equivalent of, yeah, what you said. So you're the son of God? Yeah, what you said. I don't need to correct it. I don't need to say anything. You've already said it. He's not denying it. He's just saying what you said is going to stand. And they knew exactly what that meant. And we see this in the scripture in verse 71. It says, then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. They're saying Jesus has spoken and said he is the son of God. He spoke the truth even when now they're mad and want to kill him. Bonus point. You guys ready for a bonus point? Jesus claimed to be God here. That's what he's saying. The son of God, the, that, that he's the one who sits on the throne, that he is equivalent with God himself. There's religions in our world that say, oh, Jesus never said he was God. Yes, he did. And this is one of those places. The Jews knew it, and that's why they wanted to kill him. You said it with your own lips. The son of God means the equivalent of the father, that they are of the same essence. Jesus is claiming to be God here. So if anybody tells you, oh, Jesus never said to be God, they're wrong. That is not the truth, and you should speak the truth. No, he did. And this is just one of the many occasions that Jesus said that. And that's why these people are so mad, so angry, but still Jesus spoke the truth. Look at as the accusations get a little worse now in, in verse 2. As the Jewish leaders are super mad, they're like, okay, he's already gotten himself in trouble. This is blasphemy. We want to kill him. But Jews weren't allowed in those days to kill anyone because they were in the Roman Empire. So they're handing him over to the Roman government, to Pilate, who was in charge. You kill him now, Pilate. So in verse 2 it says, And they began to accuse him, accuse Jesus, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Did you notice these three accusations they're making against Jesus? Three accusations. The first one is that he's subverting the Roman Empire. The second one is that he's against taxes to Caesar. And the third one is that he claims to be the king. This is basically two half-truths and a lie. Have you ever played that game? <laughs> two half-truths and a lie. <laughs> the first one's a half-truth. Subverting our nation. Okay, in a sense, yes, Jesus subverted everything. He has a completely different way. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's not like any kingdom on this earth. He is subverting, but he's not like 
having a revolution or a insurrection, like they're accusing him. That's what they're accusing him of. See, Roman government, you have to step in because he's trying to, to throw off the empire. They're subverting that truth. They're taking it and distorting it. That's what people do when they make false accusations. Take a little bit of truth and they make it totally wrong. But then the second one is just flat out false. It's a lie. Saying that he's um, teaching people not to pay their taxes to Caesar. Isn't that the exact opposite of what Jesus did? We saw that a couple months ago when he took that coin and he's like, okay, look at the coin. Whose image is on it? Well, Caesar's image. Uh, Caesar in the empire made this monetary system. You owe your taxes. <laughs> Give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. That's what Jesus is clear teaching. He never said don't pay your taxes. In fact, he paid his taxes. That's another bonus point with April 18th this year coming up. Okay, Jesus paid his taxes. <laughs> you can go back and listen to that message. Give to God what is God's from a few weeks ago. So this is a flat-out lie, isn't it? But they're lying, they're accusing of this thing so that he'll get into trouble and he will be executed. But then the third claim is that he claims to be the Messiah, this third accusation, a king. Now that's true, Jesus just said he was the Messiah. And he does claim to be the king of the universe. But why are they adding that phrase, a king? Because they're saying if, if he's claiming to be king, that means Caesar isn't king and he's starting a revolution. But Jesus was like, no, I'm king of kings. He keeps the kings in place. He's just better than them. <laughs> he doesn't need to have this huge revolution because he's setting up a new kingdom within the kingdom. But they're just making these accusations, you know, just distorted enough to really get Jesus in trouble. And that's what happens to us too. And we get really upset about these things. When people speak about us, when they accuse us of stuff, there's a lot of times two half-truths and a lie. Or there's that email. And what we want to do, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, is redline that email. You know what I'm talking about? You get that email, you get that statement, you see it on social media, and like you want to go through there. And some of you have done this, I've done this. You're like, that's wrong, this is the truth. That's wrong, well, that's a little true here. And isn't that what we do? And we're just like, but this one, that's a flat out lie. And we want to go through there detail by detail, point by point, and correct everything. That's what we want to do when people accuse us falsely. But what Jesus does is he doesn't get into all these little details, but he does speak the truth. Look at him here. Verse three, so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Same response. You said it. We'll let it stand. He's claiming to be the king because he is the king, the king of kings. He's speaking the truth here even as being, he's being accused of these false things. He doesn't go point by point and say, well, actually, if you look at the context of the first point, this is how it actually would work. And you could get some witnesses. We could bring him in. He's not trying to defend his reputation at all. He's not trying to get into all the details. He's just speaking the truth succinctly, clearly, simply. Saying the truth and then leaving it out there. Come what may. And I think this is a good example for us to follow as well. When, when people give us personal attacks and insults, silence. But when people falsely accuse us, we do need to speak the truth. But we just say it, and we've got to leave it there. Let God take care of our reputation. We don't need to. And we definitely can't slander them or speak back about them or distort the truth at all. We say the truth, and that's it. In fact, this too fulfills prophecy in Isaiah 53, 9. We read that he was assigned a grave with the wicked, talking about Jesus, the Messiah to come, 
and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He never lied, never distorted the truth, never attacked the people who accused him. Though he could have, these guys are flat out lying. There's witnesses in the temple that heard Jesus say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He doesn't need to get into all of those details. He just speaks the truth and moves on. He speaks the truth and moves on. And I think some of us need to, to listen to that. So the next time you get that email, you get that comment, someone says something about you, maybe they even print something about you. You're like, that's libel. Get your lawyer involved. Do you speak back? Do you try to go through point by point to defend yourself? Maybe just speak the truth clearly, succinctly, and move on. God could take care of your reputation. Jesus gives us a great example. Jesus gives us a great example here. <clears throat> but there's a third thing. Because what happens when we do speak the truth, when Jesus speaks the truth, well, that doesn't mean necessarily that all the bad stuff will go away. Sometimes our reputation will still be ruined. The relationship is destroyed. We've lost our job. That friend is gone forever. And that's the third thing we need to learn is that Jesus was rejected and he suffered injustice. He suffered injustice. In verse four, it says, then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He's declaring him innocent. He's not seditious. He doesn't deserve the death penalty. He's innocent. But the people keep insisting. So then Pilate was like, well, Jesus was born in Nazareth. That's not my region. That's Herod's region. So he tries to pass the buck. Push him off to Herod. And we already talked about with Herod. Herod just mocks him. Jesus says nothing. Herod turns him back over to Pilate because Jerusalem is Herod's, or I'm sorry, is uh, Pilate's jurisdiction. If they're going to kill him, well, it has to be on Pilate's watch. So then we jump down to verse 14. Pilate comes back to this crowd of people that are gathering, these religious leaders and the crowds of people, and he says, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Two government officials find him innocent. It's the second time they're like, he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve punishment. But in verse 18, verse 18, it says, but the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. So who's Barabbas? An actual criminal. Someone who had done some bad things, who was an insurrectionist, meaning he was trying to start a revolt against Rome, and he was a murderer. He had killed one person or multiple people. So this guy deserves his penalty. He's in prison for that and deserves execution. But the people, the crowds of people, the same crowds that just a week earlier, not even a week, five days earlier were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, are now shouting, away with him. In fact, it gets worse. Verse 20 says, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. Three times he declares Jesus' innocence. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. These words were rejecting Jesus completely. And it was unjust. He was declared innocent three times by two different government officials. And yet he still is being sent now to be executed. 
And Pilate finally just says, fine, we'll do it. This is injustice at its worst. The whole system is against Jesus. It's what we call systemic injustice. That's what's happening to Jesus here. He is suffering the worst injustice imaginable. He's not given a fair trial, and even when he's found innocent, he still is going to face punishment. That's injustice. I've often heard from people that they're like, I can't believe in in God because there's so much injustice in the world. But God himself experienced injustice. He came down to experience that, to know what it's like to have the worst thrown at us. Jesus felt that. He experienced it. He didn't deserve any of this. He was innocent, perfect, righteous, and yet still he suffered. And through Jesus' example, we too can learn that sometimes we have to suffer as well. The way of Jesus has some incredible perks, okay? The happiest life, the most joy-filled life is following Jesus, but it's also the path of suffering, even unjust suffering. Jesus promised us that if you follow me, you will be hated. Paul said anyone who who wants to follow Jesus will be persecuted. That just goes with the territory. There's going to be hard things. There's going to be suffering. But the way of Jesus, to follow Jesus, means that we follow him even into that unjust suffering. Jesus taught us when someone smacks you on the cheek, you don't smack back. You turn the other cheek, right? When someone makes you go one mile out of your way carrying something, you go the second mile. You suffer. Even if it's unjust even if it's not right. And this can and will happen to us. Some of you have experienced that. Now, I want to be clear in this message. I'm not talking about how to respond to just criticism. When people say things about you that are true, sometimes you get the email and you're like, ooh, yeah, that's right, or partially right, okay? I could give a whole message on how to respond to to real criticism, to, to receive that and, and listen to it and pray for it and like, yeah, even if there's just a kernel of truth, I need to listen to it and I need to change. I've gotten those emails too. That, that's not what this message is about. This message is about the people who have done no wrong, said nothing wrong, and yet still they get insulted. Still they get falsely accused. Still they have to suffer unjustly. And that can happen to us. We can lose the friend. We can lose the job. We can get terribly hurt. And it's unjust. It's not right. But in this fallen world that is run by people like Pilate and Herod and these religious leaders who have sin and evil in their heart, it's going to happen in our lives. There will be unjust suffering. But it's actually the example Jesus sets. I want to show you this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's kind of a long one, but, but I think it's really important for us to understand and absorb what Jesus did for us in this trial of his. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know that you haven't sinned, you haven't done wrong, you will suffer unjustly. And then in verse 21, he, he tells us clearly, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
we are supposed to follow the example of Jesus that he showed us in his trial. And it lasts 24 hours to suffer unjustly. Now, if you've noticed in this whole message, we've been putting ourselves in the place of Jesus, right? And we're taught there, we're very clearly by Peter, we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus. We're supposed to look at him and follow what he did. We've put ourselves in the place of Jesus. But let's be honest. You are not Jesus. You are Barabbas. We are all Barabbas. See, Barabbas was the actual guilty convict who was suffering because of something he actually did. He was a criminal and he deserved death. And yet Jesus died and Barabbas got released. See, Jesus is on the cross because of you and your sin. But because we are like Barabbas, we can be forgiven and set free because Jesus suffered and died in our place. See, we are Barabbas in this story. We're not the, un, the, the one who does everything right and has never done anything wrong and the accusations come against us. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes when the insults come, like we actually have been a jerk. We actually have hurt people. So sometimes we've done something wrong and when they accuse us, it's like, oh yeah, I deserve the punishment for this. Someone uh, that I've hurt, they say, well, you hurt my feelings. We can't just be like, well, I didn't mean to. No, you hurt their feelings. You've sinned against someone. We are in the wrong. We are Barabbas. But the good news is that Jesus willingly went to the cross and died in our place. And what we believe, the heart of our faith, is that Jesus suffered and died in our place. And when we turn to him, we can be forgiven. And just like Barabbas, we can be set free. Isn't that good news? That's good news. That's good news. So right now, I want everybody to, to think back. Maybe it's recent, maybe it's a long time back about some things people have said, some awful things about you. They've insulted you, they've made fun of you, they've mocked you, falsely accused you, lied about you. Maybe even there's been times where you suffered, you, you had the terrible thing, the rejection happened, even though you didn't deserve it. And, and I want everybody right now to just close their eyes, thinking about that. And, and if that's you here, and you've had people say things, those words, they were worse than sticks and stones. They hurt to your core. Sometimes it's by the people we love the most hurt us the most. If you're here and you can think of that moment and, and you just want some prayer right now, I just want you to lift your hand in the air. I wanna be able to pray for those who are hurting because of words that have spoken against them. Maybe recently, maybe years, decades ago. Just put your hand in the air right now so I can pray a blessing for you. Lord God, I pray for those right now who are saying, yes, I have been hurt by words, by insults, by mockery, by false accusations, by lies that were printed, posted, spoken against me. Lord God, I pray for healing for their hearts. Lord God, I pray that they would look to Jesus and know that there is healing in his wounds. Lord God, just heal them right now. And I pray that you'd help them be restored to even have some reconciliation with those who have slandered them and hurt them. Lord God, we pray for peace in their hearts, even after all that they've been hurt and suffered. You can put your hands down. Now, can I tell you some more good news? Sticks and stones may break your bones. Words will hurt you. 
but it's also words that will save you. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with our words that we're saved. So I wanna give you an opportunity with, with your words to receive that gift of forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. So let's close our eyes again. And if you're here and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's time to accept his gift of what he did for you in your place on the cross. And with eyes closed, if, if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. And would everybody, um, if you're ready to say this prayer, please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me. Save me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Give me the gift of forgiveness. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you in your example for the rest of my life. Now with eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, and Jesus is now your Lord and Savior, I want you to put your hand high in the air right now. Put your hand in the air. We'd love to just celebrate with you. Just put your hand in the air. If you're online, go to risedenver.com follow. Lord God, um, I just pray that you'd be with all of us to help us follow you. It is so hard. When people have spoken against us, slandered our name, destroyed our reputation, rejected us, Lord God. We feel it, but we're grateful that you get us, that you felt it first. And because of that, you have empathy for us. You love us and have compassion on us. And I pray that in that, we would turn to you and find healing for our wounds. And that we would have then the strength to move forward and follow your example. Lord Jesus, help us to follow you in everything that comes our way, even should it be suffering. Because Lord Jesus, you suffered unjustly so that we might be justified. And we're grateful for that. Amen. Now, if you're here right now and you need prayer for anything, we have a prayer team right here in the back, right during this song. You can head in the back right now. We'd love to pray for you, just encourage you with whatever you're going through. And then we are going to sing together this uh, incredible song we taught it a couple weeks ago called Son of Suffering, as we look at the Jesus who gets us because of what he went through. Would you please stand as we sing together?